He is the principal at Wayne Christian School. He is also serving as one of our head coaches here this year uh, for soccer, uh, for our soccer league, and we appreciate him and Miss Randy stepping up and, and coaching this year. So, uh, Mr. Miranda, if you'll come at this time, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for your sweet spirit. God bless you, brother. And you're going to be in Malachi chapter 4 to finish out the book. Am I correct? I hope so. Amen. All right. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I hope so. Well, one thing I really appreciate about, Brandy, uh, about Randy's um, mission for minute is that she set the expectation that we don't have to stay within our time limit. So <laughs> I, hope, I hope to finish Malachi chapter 4 today. Well, folks, good morning, and, and thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I don't know that you really had a choice in the matter, but I really do appreciate being here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is, is Lewis Miranda. I'm the principal at Wayne Christian School. I also pastored uh, at Rivermont Baptist Church in Kinston for about seven years as the senior pastor and about three years as a youth pastor. And so I was, I was a bivocational pastor there for, for, for about 10 years. And I answered the call to ministry way back when I was 18 years old, uh, 17 years old, actually. I was, I was a junior in high school when I first felt the call, um, but I never truly surrendered to God's call in my life until, until later on whenever um, I became the pastor at Rivermont. And so God closed that chapter of our ministry back in the fall of 2021. And so my wife and I, we, we've been praying about what God w- would have us to do, where we would go next. And and we've, we've been floating around. We've visited here some, and we've visited other churches. And, and it's, 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 it's a really weird position to be in because uh, one thing, one thing that, that, that I have found is that the question that people oftentimes ask is, is, well, why aren't you pastoring anymore? What happened, right? What happened? One thing I learned in leaving uh, Rivermom is that pastors usually don't end well. Uh, pastors usually don't end well because, because the question that kept coming up is, what happened? Did somebody make you mad? Did, did somebody hurt your feelings? Uh, and the fact of the matter was that we loved Rivermont. Rivermont loved us. And in fact, uh, we, we were with some of them just a few weeks ago celebrating a birthday, and we spent Christmas with some of them. We love the people there. God had just shown us that, that our season as pastors, uh, as, as, as a pastor there, had, had come to an end. And for me, that was, that was really hard. Because, because I'm a planner, I'm an, I'm an organizer, and so uh, I'm always thinking two, three, four steps ahead. Um, as a football coach, as a soccer coach, as a principal, uh, I'm always thinking about the next move probably two, three times over uh, because I, I don't like being caught off guard. And so my question to God was, okay, God, I'm, I'm going st- I'm, I'm to step down. I, I feel like you've confirmed that for us, but... What next? What next? Where, where am I supposed to go next? Uh, where am I supposed to pastor next? Is, is, there, is there a church? And so, and so I, I really didn't know. And so Brandy and I, as we prayed about it, we, as we talked about it, uh, both of us kept getting that same response was, there's nothing. There's no new church. There's no new direction. It's just, it's, you just have to rest. You just have to, to, to hang out for a little bit. And so we've been doing that. We did that uh, all of the uh, all of all of the fall uh, in 2021. Uh, we just visited, and and I did have a few churches that contacted me about speaking, and and intentionally I let them know that that, that right now I wasn't I wasn't doing any speaking in churches. 
I mean, I didn't start preaching again until February of this year, and I've had the privilege of, of preaching at a few churches, and so it truly is a privilege and an honor to be able to, to come before you. My wife asked me earlier, she said, are you nervous? And, and I said, yes. I said, I, I am nervous, and partly because it's, you know, you get in the habit of preaching regularly, and so, and so you don't know if, if uh, you know, when you preach regularly, you kind of develop certain nuances, certain habits, certain things, and uh, and when you preach at a church that you know the people, there's there's certain things you can say. You know, you can talk about the people there. You can use them as illustrations. You can, um, but I, I don't I don't know a lot of you, and so and so it is. I do know some of you. I do know some of you, and so and so it is. It it, it is a little nerve wracking, and so I'm going to do my best today to to unpack these six verses in Malachi chapter four. I will tell you that they that these are loaded verses. Um, and if I had time, I probably would preach these over two Sundays, um, because there's a lot to cover here in, in these six, in, in these six verses. And so hold on, get your Bibles out, uh, and let's read in Malachi chapter four, beginning in verse one. And this is what the prophet says, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. <clears throat> but for you who hear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall, shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we come together today, Lord, that you would begin to Help us to understand your word. God, there's honestly nothing that, that I'm going to say that, that, that is possible without you and you alone. And so I pray, Father, that you would use me just simply as a mouthpiece to convey to your church your word. I pray, Lord, that through this time together that we might glean some understanding, that we might come to know you a little bit better, and that we might come to understand who you are. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When we begin to unpack this part of Malachi, it's important to, to understand that, that we are coming to, to the end of his prophecy. We, we, we are coming into the, the final piece of his six disputations that we've been unpacking over the course of the last several weeks. In fact, when, when, when you look at this particular part of, of Scripture, Verses one through three really, really mark the end of the pre of of the sixth disputation, and then verses four through six kind of give us the conclusion of the entirety of the book. And it, it makes it easy to to break these two uh, this passage into really two sections that we are going to unpack today. Malachi ha has been calling the people in his time to to repentance. There there, there were several issues. That the, that, that the nation of Israel had that Malachi has been dealing with, whether it was the form of idol worship, whether it was, it was 
them not tithing, not, them not trusting the Lord. Uh, but, but one of the big themes that has really encompassed the entirety of Malachi's prophecy is probably a question that you might have been asking yourself as well if you lived during this time. In fact, I would argue that it's the question that a lot of unbelievers ask themselves today. And the question is simply this, where is the God of justice? Or, or maybe another thing, that, or another way that we might ask the question is, if God is so good, why does it seem like evil triumph? Now, as church people, we, we, can, we can answer that question in, in, in a very churchy way, right? There is sin in the world, and as long as there is sin in the world, then there will be bad things that happen. And so, and so as Malachi deals with this question, it calls our attention here that it's a question that we still deal with today. As far as Malachi was concerned, the answer is simple. It's a, it's a very simple answer. In fact, it's a simple answer to me. And, and if you're a believer in Christ, the answer is probably simple for you. If you put your trust in God, you put your trust in Yahweh, then God will vindicate and restore the righteous. Steve J. Cole writes this, we live in a day when very few people fear God's judgment. The God of most Americans is a feeble, tolerant old man who would never send anyone, except maybe for the very worst, to hell. This American God, he grades on a curve, and it's, very, and it's a very lenient curve. Unless you're a terrorist, a mass murderer, a serial rapist, or a habitual child molester, you have nothing to fear come judgment. We paint God in our society today as a very loving God who will overlook our transgressions. And that there's nothing really to fear when we think of God's judgment, because he will grade us on a curve. People don't really like to talk about judgment. People don't really like to think of God's wrath, or they don't really like to think of God's judgment when, when they think of the things of God. But I want to suggest to you this morning that, that it's critically important that when we think of God, we need to base our view of God, and we need to base our view of His future judgment on what His Word says. You see, if we base our view of God on our feelings, if we base our view of God on our opinions, if we base our, uh, our view of God on what people tell us how God is, then, then we come to form a distorted view of God. If we begin to think of God as a God who simply forgives you and is going to overlook all of our sins, then we come to have a false view of what judgment day comes. And, 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 and we assume that on judgment day, we're simply going to walk up to the throne and God's going to say, I left the light on for you. But the truth of the matter is that we need to look at what God says about judgment in his word. And in the first section, of what we're going to cover today deals specifically with that. And so my hope is that when we leave today, you will have a better understanding of God's judgment, specifically His judgment day, 
as Malachi would have us understand. And so there's two proposals I want to propose to you for your consideration. I'll I'll give them to you now, and then we'll unpack them over the course of of the time that we're here together. Here's the first proposal that I want to make to you. The, The coming day of judgment should bring great fear to anyone that scoffs at God. But it should bring great comfort to all that fear his name. Here's the second proposal. The coming day of judgment should bring great comfort, right? Should bring great comfort if we follow his command. We're going to unpack that second part here in verses 4 through 6. But let's go back and look here specifically at verses 1 through 3. I want to unpack that first part together. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so as Malachi looks towards this great day of the Lord, as he looks towards this coming judgment, he addresses two groups specifically. He addresses a group of people that will identify as the wicked, And then he'll address a group that we'll identify as the righteous. And so what he says in verse 1 deals with the judgment of the wicked. He says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And then he gives characteristics to them. The arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And so here's my first point that I want you to understand today. There is a coming day where God will judge the wicked. There is a day that is coming in which the wicked will stand before God and God will judge them. God promises that a day is coming when the arrogant and the evildoers will see how wrong they really were. Now, now remember, Malachi is addressing this question that I, that I suggested to you earlier. If, 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 if God is real, or, or more specifically, how, uh, where is this God of justice? Why is it that God allows the evil and the wicked to prosper? And in fact, the psalmist asked that question, right? And it's a question that I think we ask ourselves, right? It, it, God, if, if you're good, then, then why do we have evil people who get away with doing evil things? And so Malachi gives us the answer he gives us a promise that comes from God, is that God is going to judge the wicked. Right now, we live in this world that is affected by the curse of sin. We live in a world that is impacted in every way by the fall of of Adam. We live in a world today that is touched where we see sin, where we see unfairness, where, where we see inequality where we see evil, and, and we see it every single day. But friends, the end of history will bring about 
the coming day of judgment where the wicked will be judged. And so Malachi is telling his readers that we are to view everything in light of this coming judgment. And he gives us several images to consider as we think about this day. He describes, he describes it in this way. He says that it'll be like, like a burning oven. It'll be like a burning oven. And, and what Malachi is doing here is he's stressing for his audience the intensity of this judgment. I'm a pretty smart guy, usually. But for some reason, I have been burned numerous times by an oven. Not the oven specifically, but the things that go into the oven. The most recent time, there was, my wife was making a casserole or something in the oven, and there was one of those, um, ladies, you'll probably understand what I mean by this, but it's one of those uh, glass type of like baking dishes, Um, and the oven had been off for a little while, and so Brandy had said to me, pull pull it out and put it on the stove or something so that it'll, it'll finish cooling. I assumed that it had cooled enough that I could go in there and grab it with my hands. And I did, but it wasn't cool. I've also tried to grab baking sheets that have cookies without using a glove before. Or an oven mitt, I guess, is, is the proper term. But here's my favorite part. Sometimes when you open the oven... I didn't realize this. You have to open it, but you have to to open it slowly so that the steam and the heat come out. And so there's been times when I've opened the oven, unbeknownst to me, and the entire intensity of all the heat in the oven that's been baking whatever is in the oven, you open it too fast and the steam and the heat hit you and it it burns your face and, and it's rather painful. So when I think of God's judgment being described as an oven, I can relate to to the intensity of what this judgment is is going to look. You see, if hell was simply God putting us, well, God doesn't put us there, but if, if it was simply us being in an oven, that would be bad enough. But the image here, it emphasizes the intensity of the judgment, but it also emphasizes emphasizes the destruction of, of the wicked. In fact, Isaiah gave us this description. He says, look, the Lord is going to come with a fire. His chariots are like a whirlwind to execute his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Zephaniah put it this way when he said that their silver and their gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. He said that the, that the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. And so there's this image of, of, of flames and fire and God's judgment that, that, that is going to be poured out on the wicked. And it, it's a scary image. And for somebody who rejects God, for, for, for somebody who scoffs at the word of God, it's something to fear. It's something to be afraid of. If that wasn't bad enough, there's three words that Malachi uses here to to indicate how complete this judgment is going to be. He says that that they will be like stubble, that it will leave them neither root 
nor branch. And so the judgment of the wicked will be so complete that the wicked are compared to stubble. Another translation uses the word straw there. How many of you have ever burned dry straw and how quickly it burns and how intense it happens? Now, Malachi here is not proposing an annihilation of sinners. He's not, he's not giving credibility to this false view that hell is a place of annihilation. He's simply showing that the wicked will be consumed, root branches and all. And he uses it as a description of the complete exclusion of the wicked from God's kingdom. They will be burned and they will not take part in his kingdom. In fact, Matthew puts it this way when he says that they will go away into an eternal punishment. But thankfully, the righteous will go into eternal There is no second chance. This judgment, this, this flame is so complete that it's the end of the road for the wicked. Andrew Hill puts it this way. He says that the metaphor highlights the the totality of the coming destruction with its completeness made more evident through the burning even of the roots, which ordinarily do not succumb to a flash fire being protected by the earth. So as we consider what this day means for the wicked, I want to remind you that the coming day of judgment should, should bring great fear to those who reject God. But I also have some good news. Just as the wicked should give thought to the coming day of the judgment, the coming day of judgment should bring great comfort to all that fear God. Let's look at what Malachi says in verses 2 and 3. But for you who fear my name, the, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so we see this contrast between the wicked and this new group that, that, that Malachi identifies those who, who fear the name of God, specifically those who fear Yahweh. And this was a group who, who would have remained faithful to God. This group stands ready to serve as God's agents in restoring the, the covenant faith in restoring the righteous behavior and restoring the true worship that God called for in Judah. And so the day of judgment that Malachi is describing here brings the dawning of a new day that will bring about a reversal of the circumstances for the people of God. And so, and so just as he used images to describe the intensity, the seriousness, and the severity of the judgment that the wicked will face, he uses some beautiful language to describe what that day will be like for those who fear God. He uses a phrase that is only used once in all of Scripture, and it's used right here. He describes it this way. He says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And so this phrase, the son of, of righteousness, only appears here. Most commentators uh, agree and they interpret this to mean Jesus Christ. And through Christ, believers are, are justified and sanctified. And while the wicked will burn as an oven, the righteous will experience the brightness as a rising 
Now, I usually don't wake up early enough to see the sunrise. And even if I did, I'm not one of those gooey, emotional people that likes to like sit out there and look at the sun. That's, that's, that's not me. But I have seen pictures of it, and I have heard people talk about it. And so while I may not be one of those people that can sit out on my porch and drink a cup of coffee and, and enjoy the beautiful sunrise, for those of you that do, I, I can understand why it would be a majestic feeling because, because to see the sunrise in pictures or even in movies and TV shows, I've seen it, I've seen it happen there, <laughs> it, is, it, is a beautiful, it is a beautiful scene. It, it is. It is a beautiful scene. Now, imagine that sun showing up for the first time after every tear has been wiped away, after every sin has been cleansed, after the forgiveness and healing has taken place. You know, one of the things that I often find myself daydreaming about, this is the stuff that pastors think about sometimes, is, you know, when Jesus comes back, and I'm not talking about the rapture, I'm talking about when he comes back to establish his kingdom here on earth, right? That's the day I'm talking about. That first day when he comes back and like everything, the Bible describes it as all things become new, right? The old has passed away, and, 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 so, and so there's this new earth and this new heaven. Like that first day, I think we're all going to be like, man, this is, this is amazing, right? But that second day, that second day is the one that really excites me. Like that day when when you wake up, I assume, you know, maybe we'll sleep. I don't know. We don't have to sleep because there's not going to be, you know, his, 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 he's going to be the radiance there. But I guess that second day, if you count days in eternity, and we walk around and it starts to, to dawn on us that we are going to experience this forever. And so Malachi describes it here as the son of righteousness. And, it, and it's the word S-U-N, not S-O-N here, S-U-N of righteousness shall rise. But it's not just going to rise, it's going to rise with healing in its wings. And this is an image of, of, of a second blessing that God's people are going to experience. It's, it's the healing of that comes from Him. Psalm 103 puts it this way, He forgives all your iniquity and He heals all of our diseases. God's people will be restored and renewed. And then he gives us another image, right? Not just, not just of, of healing in its wings, but then he says, you, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. One commentator that I read put it this way. And as I read it, I, it, it, really, it really hit home for me. And I hope that as you hear these words, you'll imagine exactly what Malachi is describing as he gives this picture of the last day, of this judgment day. He said, there are some young calves that have been cooped up in a dirty, old, smelly, dark shed for weeks on end. It seems as if the farmer has forgotten about them. They have had no freedom. They are ailing and restless under the confinement. But on that day, on that day, the farmer lets them out for the first time into the sun, and it is marked. Now, I've never owned a calf, 
But I can imagine how excited they would be to, to, to step out into an open field for the first time. I do own dogs. And if it's anything like the excitement that a dog has when you come home, it would be pretty amazing. How many of you have ever opened the door and been greeted, been, and been greeted by your dog as he jumps out or she jumps out? You could have been gone five minutes, five years, and it's the same reaction every time. And they leap out. They leap out and they jump on you. Malachi says that's what that day is going to be like. It's an expression of, fu- of, of this future satisfaction and, and, and the joy that the righteous will experience. I like how, how, how Zephaniah puts it when he writes this. He says, at that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at the time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. The Lord has spoken. On the day when the Son of Righteousness returns, when, when he, he returns, the, the righteous will know release and joy and happiness like, like, like we have never known. And there's two more images here that are a little bit more somber, right? He says that they will tread down the wicked and that the wicked will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Now, for Malachi's listeners, as they dealt with this idea of, 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 of how can God allow injustice to continue to happen, this had to be music to their ears. You know, God's not only going to stop injustice, not only is God going to deal with the wicked, But specifically, specifically, those who fear God will tread down the wicked and they will be as ashes under the soles of their feet. And this is the indication of the finality of the judgment on the wicked. These two final images, they they show us victory. They evoke this image of a triumphant king with his foot planted on, on the chest of a vanquished enemy. Malachi's final disputation here gives a fitting conclusion to where he sees the reversal of of the fortunes of the wicked and the righteous. There is going to be great happiness for the ones who fear God. He will go from, from darkness and misery to rejoicing in God forever. And this brings us to the final three verses of Malachi. It's the conclusion of the prophecy, and it's the last words that God will speak to his people for 400 years. This is sort of an epilogue that summarizes the main points of this prophecy. And I think for us, it really serves as the application, right? It really serves as the application of, of how do we apply what we just heard in verses 1 through 3, and how do we apply it to our lives? And there's two calls that he makes here. He says, remember the law of Moses. And then there's a call to the promise of Elijah and the coming day of the Lord. So let's look at verse 4. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. 
So this call to, to, to remember the law of Moses is a reminder of what God had said to his people way back in what we call Mount Sinai. Now, it's not just a description of the original law, of the Ten Commandments, but, but, but really the entirety of what Moses had written in the first five books of the Bible. It's, it's, it's a call to remember. But it's more than just about memorizing the past. This is a call to, to act upon the knowledge of what God has done in His history. This, this is a call to harness the will and obedience to God's commandments. What Malachi is saying in, in simple terms is recall it to mind and do it. I like how one commentator by, put it this way. The people in Malachi's day needed a renewed fear of God. They needed to repent and be faithful to God's covenant. Such repentance would cause them to benefit from rather than suffer in the coming day of the Lord. And here's where the application really draws in. I'm going to assume that everybody in here has a, at least a nominal belief in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to pretend that all of us are Christians in here because I, I think that would be a false assumption. But I am going to pretend or, or I am going to assume that every single one of us here has a nominal knowledge of the things of God. We have, have heard of God. We uh, maybe have grown up in, in church. And in fact, uh, one of the curses of living in, in, in Eastern North Carolina is that all of us, right, all of us have grown up in, in church for, 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 for the most part, right? In fact, here's kind of a sideways tangent. But one of the things that I do at Wayne Christian School is I interview every family that comes to Wayne Christian School. I don't specifically, but we have a committee of people that do. And one of the questions that we ask them is share with us your testimony. Share with us how you became a Christian. And you know what the most common answer that we get in those interviews is simply this. Well, I grew up in church my whole life. I've been going with my mom and I've been going with, with, my, with my grandma or whoever. I've been going my whole life. And so then as we move to the question, sometimes as we truly want to understand, well, growing up in church, it doesn't make you a Christian. Much more like shopping at Walmart makes you a Walmart greeter, right? And so, what, and so what we say oftentimes is, well, who is Jesus to you? And then people work around that question too. But here's what I have found out, and here's why I don't want to make the false assumption that all of us in here are, are truly believers, is that most people in this part of the world have a nominal view of who God is and who Jesus is. Malachi's people had the same problem. They knew about God. They knew his commandments. They knew his decrees. They knew what the word of God said. In fact, every Jewish boy, as part of their schooling, was required to memorize the first five books of the Torah. By the time, I think they were seven or eight. And so all of them had this, this, this knowledge and memorization of God's word. The problem was, the same problem that we have in our world today, is they just weren't doing it. They just weren't living according to God's commandments. And, and that's why Malachi says here, he says, remember the law of my servant Moses. But don't just remember it, actually, actually do it. And it's interesting that this is how he chooses to close his book. 
You see, because he had just said what was going to happen to the, to the wicked. He had just said what was going to happen to the righteous. And most people, including Malachi's people, when they hear exactly what I just described, they assume that they belong to the group of the righteous. And so they tune out everything that has been said about the wicked because that doesn't apply to them, right? If I asked you here, how many of you are wicked? None of us are going to raise our hand. But if I ask you, how many of you guys are, are good people? All of us are going to raise our hand because we have this false assumption that we are righteous or that we are good people. But Malachi says, hold on a minute. Before you get too excited about leaping like cows, right? Before you get too excited about the healing that comes from his wings, before you get too excited about the son of righteousness, you better check yourself. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Sinai. And so before we get too excited about Jesus coming back, let me point you back to the law of Moses. And there's this promise of the coming Elijah in verse 5. He says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. God promises that the prophet Elijah would come and minister before the day of the Lord. Now we see a, a partial fulfillment of this prophecy in John the Baptist. John the Baptist functioned as an Elijah in his courageousness and his uncompromising denunciation of sin. In fact, in Luke, when John the Baptist's dad was prophesying, he quotes the end of, of Malachi. And so John the Baptist is, is a fulfillment, is a fulfillment of this prophecy. But as we look at this prophecy, what we see is that there's also a future fulfillment. There's a, a further fulfillment that, that I really want to draw our attention to. In fact, Jesus hints at this in, in, in the gospel of Matthew, right? that John is, was the Elijah figure in a limited way, but that Elijah has come and is coming. And this future fulfillment is going to take place before the great and awesome day of the Lord come. I read a, a really interesting commentary uh, as I was preparing for, for, for this message that Jesus' arrival on the scene initiated the coming day of the Lord. He hasn't fulfilled it yet. The fulfillment of the day of the coming of the Lord hasn't, hasn't happened because Jesus hasn't taken his church yet. He hasn't, uh, we haven't experienced the renewal of the earth. But what he's saying is this, right? That there is a coming day that will be great and dreadful. And Malachi is pointing to this final and full accomplishment of what God is going to do. But Malachi's prophecy hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. The Lord hasn't entirely consumed every evildoer as he said he would do in verse 1. The, the righteous haven't fully known the victory that is going to, to be theirs as verse 2 prophesied. When Jesus came, it is difficult to describe it like what verse 5 says, right? Uh, he didn't, it's, it's not a great and terrible day. And, and so, this tip, so, so, so this is typically, right, as, as we begin to understand this prophecy, is that there is a fulfillment that has happened. 
but that there is a future fulfillment that is yet to come, and the full realization of this prophecy is still going to happen. And for the church, our application is that God will send us help as well. Before the final day, I believe that Elijah will come, just as God has promised. In fact, we don't have time to unpack it fully, but it's possible that Elijah will be one of the two witnesses that we read of in Revelation 11. Is there any greater need for us today than for someone to come and and to restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and and the hearts of the children to their fathers? And so I want to call our attention back to the first verse that we read today. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stumped. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There is a judgment day coming when all of us will be judged. There is a day where God will come and he will restore his creation to its original There is a day where every single one of us will stand before his mighty, powerful presence. And the Bible makes it clear that there are two groups of people that will be affected that day. The wicked and the right. You belong to one of those two groups. There's no in-between. You are either with the wicked or you are either with the right. And the promises of Malachi's prophecy are this for you. If you are with the wicked, you will be completely and utterly destroyed by his judgment. If you are the righteous, you will experience his full healing and restoration. But there's no in-between. There's not a waiting room that you go to for timeouts and figure things out. There's not a area that you descend to and wait your final judgment. God doesn't just simply destroy you and you vanish into nothing. You will be judged and you will be punished. Or you will be judged and you will be ruined. And a lot of times we don't like to think about that. But it's happening, and it's true. And you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with Malachi. But you need to understand that it's true. And just like Malachi spoke to his people, I speak to you today. The day of judgment is coming. Let's look at the law of God. Let's examine our hearts to be sure that we are of the faith. Friends, what a terrible tragedy that there are good people who will be judged with the world. What a terrible tragedy that there are nice people who will be judged with the wicked. But you see, your niceness. Your goodness, 
all of those things are as filthy rags. And there's only one way. There's only one way to be sure. And I think that's why we close with the final verse of Malachi. That he is sending, right? That, that he is sending this Elijah-like figure who will come for the day of the Lord. And that he will begin to restore the hearts of the father to the children and of the children to the father. Because Jesus has already started that work. That work was started and completed on the cross. And each and every one of us have an opportunity to come back to the Father. Each and every one of us have an opportunity to be able to experience that salvation. And so as we close today, I challenge you with this. What group are you in? The wicked or the right? And it's not a guessing game. You can know for sure today. You can know right now. Before you leave today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, as we depart today, God, this is an exciting time, Lord, to consider Jesus coming back. And God, to consider that you are restoring all things. Lord, my heart today breaks because I know that there are many people, Lord, who have a false assurance of their righteousness. It breaks my heart, Lord, because there are so many people who are relying on their goodness, on their own works, Father. But Lord, your word is clear that they will be judged and that they will be as stubborn. So my prayer today is, Lord, that as we hear this message, that you would pierce the hearts of each person that needs to hear. And God, that you would call them, Father, as only you can. Father, that you, as you have chosen, that they might come to know you as Savior today. In Jesus' name I pray.